Blog Talk Radio. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never connected to Grace to You, we want to send you a free book by John called None Other, Discovering the God of the Bible. This detailed look at God's character can strengthen your trust in the Lord and deepen your love for Him. Request your free book by writing to noneother at gty.org. That's noneother at gty.org. 
The offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2019. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's grace to you Bible teacher John MacArthur. As we think about the birth of our Lord, I, I want to draw your attention to the book of Galatians and the fourth chapter. There is a key verse there that I, I want to dwell on for our time this morning as we look at the Word of God and consider the coming of the Lord and also our time around His table. The fourth chapter of Galatians, I'll read just the opening seven verses Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, though he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want you to focus on verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. That phrase, the fullness of time, marks out the reality that God had established a set time for the sending of His Son. So when we ask the question, when did Christmas begin? It did not begin with the virgin conception. It did not begin with the announcement of the angel to Mary. It did not even begin with the announcement to Zacharias of the coming of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. It didn't even begin with the prophecies of Isaiah, who spoke of the coming of this child. Christmas really began where everything began, and that is all the way back in the book of Genesis. Look with me to the opening chapters of Genesis, chapters 1, 2, and 3. We have to go all the way back to Genesis to see the promise that is fulfilled in the coming of the Son of God. Now, we all know that in Genesis chapter 1, we have a record of God's creation, God, the Eternal Father, Almighty, Holy, the only God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creates the universe and everything in it, and He does it in six days. And the crown of that creation on the sixth day was the creation of man made in God's image. In chapter 2... We focus in on the creation of man and the addition of woman. God gives us details of His bringing man into existence and then bringing woman into existence. And then 
giving them dominion over the entire creation and all the resources found in it. We also see in chapter 2 that man and woman had a relationship with God. They were bearers of His image. They were really children of God, sons of God, if you will. And they communed with God as bearers of His image. They walked and talked with Him in the garden. They had a relationship with Him that was pure and unbroken. And then you come to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is the most horrible chapter, describing the most horrible thing with the most long-range impact of any event ever happened since the creation, and that is the fall of man. Satan, who fell first, along with some angels, came down to the garden, seduced Eve, and Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled. As a result of that, the entire creation was cursed. The impact of sin in the world touched every molecule. Everything began to die. They were distrustful of God and trusted the words of Satan. They disobeyed God's simple command and plunged the entire human race and all creation into a cursed and dying condition. Everything was corrupted. Everything was doomed to destruction. And we see the whole process of human life in this world defined by death, the death of everything. And in the future, the entire universe will be destroyed and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. The cataclysmic fall led to the curse of the culprits, a curse on the woman, a curse on the serpent, a curse on the man. I want to take you to that in chapter 3 and verse 14. 14, 15, and 16 give us God's curse on His creation. Identifying first the culprit, Satan the serpent, then the woman, and then the man. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then the curse on the man, verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Embedded in that curse, yes, embedded in that curse is the promise that is fulfilled at Christmas. 
If you will look at verse 15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. In that curse is embedded the Christmas promise. In fact, this is so much the heart of God. God is so much love, so much mercy, and so much grace, defined by loving kindness, that He cannot even finish the curse without stating the promise. The promise in the midst of the curse of a child who will be the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. He will be the one to destroy the destroyer. And he will be of the seed of the woman. This speaks of paradise restored, paradise regained. The Lord gives this promise before He even finishes the curse. The Lord gives this promise before He even clothes Adam and Eve. The Lord gives this promise before He even banishes them at the end of the chapter from the garden permanently. Sets the cherubim and the flaming sword to make sure they never come back. They have entered into a condition of alienation from God. They were created in the image of God. They were bearers of His image. They communed with God in pure fellowship as a loving Father. That is all ended. They have gone from being sons of God to being sons of Satan. They have gone from being in paradise to being out of paradise. The world around them is devastated with sin. Now go back to the curse for a moment. The Lord is speaking to the serpent. And He says in verse 14, Cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. How is that? Because on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. The serpent came and tempted through a snake, which must have been upright initially. But when that snake was cursed, that serpent was cursed, the curse involved the serpent on its belly eating dust. Snakes, all of them, throughout all of human history, all of the world, are symbols of and reminders of the curse. Every snake that ever wriggles along the ground is a testimony to the promise that God made to destroy Satan. Snakes depict the devil. On your belly you shall go. Leviticus 11.42 says, anything that crawls on its belly is detestable. And then it says, dust you shall eat. In the Old Testament, licking the dust, eating the dust, is used a number of times as an expression for total defeat. 
So you have both the degradation and the destruction of Satan bound up in that curse, and every snake that's ever crawled or ever will crawl on the earth is a testimony to the degradation and the destruction of Satan. In a sense, it's a, an opposite to a rainbow. Every rainbow you ever see is testimony to the fact that God made a promise never to destroy the world again by water. It's a testimony to God's promise. This also, defining the life of snakes, is a testimony to God's promise. A promise to destroy Satan. He is destroyed in the plan of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, even now, he is under your feet. Snakes are symbols of the degradation and the defeat of the devil. In the midst of cursing the devil, the Lord says this, I will put enmity between you, that is, Satan, and the woman, meaning Eve. Enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. What, what is the seed of Satan? The seed of Satan are all those who are part of his kingdom. Jesus said in John 8, the Jewish leaders, you are of your father the devil. Children of the devil are children of God. Those are the only two options. Children of the devil are identified here as Satan's seed. Children of God are identified here as the seed of Eve, which also is evidence of Eve's salvation. She is the mother, symbolically speaking and literally speaking, she's the mother of all who would ever come into the world because she's the only woman. She started the human race with Adam. She is the mother of all, but particularly she is the mother of those who belong to God. So the Lord speaks to Eve and says, essentially, you are going to have a righteous progeny. From you will come a righteous people, my children. And the children of Satan and the children of Eve, you might say the children of Satan and the children of salvation, will be in conflict. The word enmity means hostility or conflict. So human history is marked by the righteous in conflict with the unrighteous. The kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light, the children of the devil with the children of God. Conflict. But the conflict then focuses down to one individual. Notice this. He refers to your seed, Satan's seed, collectively those who belong to his kingdom, and her seed, collectively those who belong to the Lord, and then it narrows immediately because the next word is he shall bruise you on the head. And now we know that not only will the woman have a seed that comes from her that will be a righteous seed, but there will be one of them, one particular specific one who will bruise Satan's head, literally crush the head of Satan like lifting a heel and stomping on the head of a snake, crushing out its life. This is an incredible promise. And for many, many hundreds of years, 
This was the only gospel there was. The promise that there would come one who would crush Satan, who would end the seducer's impact, who would bring back paradise and restore people to be sons of God. That was all the gospel there was for centuries, that hope. And it would come through one person, the seed of the woman. Now, it would not be without suffering because Satan, it says, would bruise him on the heel. So the one who crushes Satan would himself be wounded by Satan. So there in that promise embedded in the curse is the greatest pledge ever given to the human race. Hope and mercy and forgiveness and restoration all bound up in it. And as I said, for centuries it was the only promise they had. And again, even before God finished the curse or banished them, He gave that promise because He is by nature a loving Father and a Savior. This is where the Christmas story began. It began with a promise embedded in a curse. That divine promise of a seed, a he who would crush the head of the serpent and end his kingdom. We learn later in the book of Genesis in chapter 12 and then in chapter 22, verse 18, as God speaks to Abraham, that the seed who would crush the serpent's head would come through Abraham that he would be a member of Abraham's family. He would be a descendant of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, in verse 18, God speaks to Abraham, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, God had told him back in chapter 12 that he was going to make a great nation and he was going to bless that nation. God had told that to Abraham, Abram then. Then God ratified that in chapter 15 by telling Abram to cut some animals in half and put them apart so there was a path between them, put a dead bird on each side. Why? Because that's symbolically in the ancient world how they cut a covenant. People would cut an animal in half, separate the pieces. The two covenanting people making promises to each other would walk through as a binding exercise, a ceremony that bound them to the covenant. Usually two people would pass through the pieces, but in the case of Genesis 15, God anesthetizes Abraham and he falls asleep and God goes through alone as a shining, burning light. Because God is not making a covenant that depends on Abraham. He's making a promise with himself. And that promise means he's going to bless all nations through the line of Abraham, and there's going to come a seed of Abraham who will bring that blessing and crush Satan. God ratified that Abrahamic covenant 
by himself passing through the pieces alone. In the 26th chapter of Genesis, we learn that the seed will not only come through Abraham, but it will come through Abraham's second son, Isaac. By your seed, Isaac, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Then we learn in chapter 28, verse 14, that it would be through Isaac's second son, Jacob, through your seed, the Messiah, the seed would come. And then we learn in the 49th chapter of Genesis in the 10th verse that the seed would come through Jacob's son, Judah. So it would be a seed of the woman through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. We then learn later that the seed will come through the line of a king named David. Now I would take you to 2 Samuel chapter 7 because this is a really monumental prophecy of the seed of the woman coming through the line of David. 2 Samuel 7 verse 12, God says to David, the king, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your seed after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. This is not Solomon, because the second verse, verse 13, says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He talks about Solomon in this prophecy, but specifically that refers to the greater son of David, the seed who would be the Messiah. So, the seed of the woman then comes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and down through David. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we learn that the seed will be a preacher, a preacher like Moses. And then there are many other prophecies about the coming seed. Isaiah gives us two that are important. Isaiah says in 7.14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now we know that the seed of the woman will come through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, that he will be a preacher, that he will come into the world through a virgin. He will be a virgin-born son. And then in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, another prophecy about this child. Verse 6, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government, that is to say, the supreme rule of everything, will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. There will be a child born to a virgin. That child will come in the line of David. That child will be the wonder of a counselor 
the mighty God himself, the eternal Father himself, the Prince of Peace, and he will establish a kingdom that will never end. That is a promise of deity becoming humanity and establishing an eternal kingdom. The seed then of the woman comes through the Abrahamic line, comes through the Davidic line, comes down through a virgin who must be in the line of David, who has a husband also in the line of David. He is born in the line of David. He is one of David's sons. He is the greatest of David's descendants. He is the mighty God Himself. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Psalm 89, verse 3. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever. Your seed forever. Nobody is forever. But the son of David, who is the king, the true king, the son of God, is forever established on a throne that has no end. He is called again in verse 27, My firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever. My covenant shall be confirmed to him. I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. So, there's coming one through a virgin who is God and man, who is a king and who will reign forever and ever. But he will not come without some harm being inflicted on him. Let's go back to Genesis and think about this. It says that Satan will bruise his heel. Satan will bruise his heel. Isaiah spoke of that. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Isaiah 53. So who is this seed? Who is this son? Who is this one who crushes the head of Satan, restores paradise, makes children of Satan into sons of God? Who is this one? Paul gives us the answer in Galatians 3, and you can go back to it. And verse 16. Galatians 3:16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham... And to his seed, meaning Isaac, Jacob. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. There's the answer. The seed is Christ. The seed is the anointed one. This is the one who fulfilled all of God's promise. This is the one who will crush the serpent's head. This is the one who will be bruised by the serpent. This is the one who will crush the serpent's head, establish an everlasting kingdom of righteousness. It is none other than the Messiah. Go back to Matthew chapter 1 where the New Testament starts. The first thing you read in the New Testament is this. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, son of David, 
son of Abraham. He is the seed of Eve, seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, seed of David. His father was in the Davidic line, though he played no physical role in his birth. By being his earthly father, he passed on the right to rule, but Mary had David's bloodline. Her genealogy shows that given in Luke. But notice verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. That's how the New Testament starts. And now we know who that seed was promised to Eve who would crush the serpent's head. And so Matthew begins in verse 18 with the story. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the New Testament begins with the announcement that the promised seed has arrived. It is none other than Jesus. This is the one who fulfills all God's promise of paradise regained, restored, of the crushing of Satan and the rescue of men and women and restoration to becoming sons of God. And this, by the way, became the message the apostles preached. Look at the 13th chapter of Acts. This is the message they preached. In this case, the apostle Paul and those who were with him. Down in verse 30, he's speaking of Jesus who was put on a cross and laid in a tomb. In verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And then verse 32, very important. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. The good news from Genesis 3.15. The good news promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. The good news promised to David. The good news promised to Isaiah and other prophets. This is what we preach. We preach that this Jesus is the anointed one promised 
in the very first promise embedded in the original curse. Verse 33, that this is our message, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that He raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that He raised Him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Another thing the Old Testament prophesied that He would rise from the dead. And this is what we preach. Look at verse 36. For David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among the fathers and underwent decay. In other words, the prophecies can't be about David because he's not everlasting. He did not rise from the dead. It has to be about this one, the greater son of David. Verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to all. And through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. The law couldn't free you from sin, from death, from hell. So the message of the apostles was that the promise that God made to the fathers way back in the book of Genesis was fulfilled in Jesus. This is the long unfolding history now go back to Galatians 3 again. Here's the good news. Since His name is Jesus because He came to save His people, we ask, how is it that He does that? How does His salvation come to me as a sinner? Galatians 3.26 For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Not by works, which you've done, not because you are worthy, but by faith, putting your faith in Christ. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then verse 27, All of you who were immersed into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 29, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to promise. This is the most amazing thing. Through Abraham's seed, the Messiah, we become Abraham's seed. As the Messiah passes His rights on to us so that we are heirs of the promise. All the blessing that God promised to the seed of the woman promised to the seed of Abraham, promised in Christ is passed through Christ to us. So Paul says we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. This is God's loving purpose. And so verse 4 of chapter 4 again, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He didn't create His Son. He sent Him. He preexisted eternally. Born of a woman, full humanity. Sent by God, full deity. And why does He come? To redeem us. How did He redeem us? Go back to chapter 3, verse 13. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, which was death and hell, having become a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So He died on the cross, took the curse that we deserved, redeemed us from the curse, verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Through faith. John 1.12, as many as believed, He gave the right to become the sons of God. He came to redeem those, chapter 4, verse 5, who were under the law, and under the law's condemnation, that we might receive the adoption as sons. For us who have trusted Christ, put our faith in Him, paradise has been restored. Paradise has been regained. We are citizens of heaven. Our names are written there. Our inheritance is there. Our Father is there. Our family is there. We are again bearers of God's image. We are sons of God. We were the children of Satan. Our home was the world system. We were children of wrath. We were sons of disobedience. We were under bondage to the law and to sin, which led to hell. That is the universal human condition. But we're all sons of God, verse 26, through faith. By putting our trust in Him, we have become sons of God. In the fullness of time, He came as a son to make many, many sons. A beautiful hymn of Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, music by Felix Mendelssohn, my favorite carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Verse 3 says this, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die. Then these two lines, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. A seed, a son, to raise many sons, to restore us to God, to regain paradise, to bring us to glory. This required the cross, didn't it? He had to go there. <clears throat> he had to suffer. He had to be bruised in order that he could be triumphant. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. And for details about the Masters University, where John serves as chancellor, go to masters.edu. 
John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. How do you walk? 
doom and gloom, or maybe not. This is Ken Ham, heading up the ministry that's built a 510-foot-long Noah's Ark. It seems every day the news is abuzz with doom and gloom predictions about the environment's future. We hear claims like, we're in the middle of a mass extinction, all the sea ice will soon be gone, and even, we've only got 12 years left. But people have been making these doom and gloom predictions for decades, and they haven't come true. In the 1970s, the concern was global cooling, then it was global warming, and now just climate change. Trends don't always continue. Humans innovate and discover ways to improve things. Rather than buy into every gloomy prediction, we should trust what God said. Seed time and harvest, summer and winter will continue. Discover more of the truth about climate change and our upcoming national conference on the issue when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Glory of your name 
And what am I that you called me to your side And took this heart of stone and broke it open wide Are dire warnings too over the top? This is Ken Ham, a founder of the popular magazine for families entitled Answers. News headlines warned climate change resulted in more man-eating tigers. Now, you heard that right, man-eating tigers because of climate change. Many things these days are blamed on climate change. Why the scare tactics? Well, if you have the wrong worldview starting point, you come to the wrong conclusions. You see, many scientists believe the ice cores have recorded thousands of years of the climate, so the small changes we're seeing today must be catastrophic. But the ice layers were laid down rapidly during the ice age, after the global flood. Yes, climates change, but we can trust the creator who designed Earth, our atmosphere, and our sun. He says summer and winter won't cease. We're hosting a conference on climate change at the Ark Encounter in Northern Kentucky at Easter time. Discover more when you visit our award-winning website at AnswersRadio.com.
Should we be birth strikers? This is Ken Ham, and we produce the family-friendly Answers Bible Curriculum. There's a growing trend among young people known as birth strikers. Now, these people aren't having children, they say, to save the environment. They point to climate change, pollution, and supposed upcoming food shortages as reasons to avoid having kids. Well, should Christians join the birth strikers? Well, in Genesis, God told us to be fruitful and multiply, and he gave that command again after the flood. And he also promised that summer and winter and seed time and harvest wouldn't cease. Yes, we need to care for our environment. God has made us stewards of his creation, but we need to do so properly, understanding God's love for people and his command to multiply. There's so much more to discover about climate change, the Bible, and biblical stewardship at our Easter conference at the Ark Encounter. Visit our website at AnswersRadio.com.
is climate anxiety growing? This is Ken Ham with a passion for sharing God's word from the very first verse. Fear, panic and depression. These are some of the symptoms associated with so-called climate anxiety. Apparently, many young people are reporting that this is what they're experiencing as they think about the future. They don't want to get jobs, buy houses or have kids because they believe the world is ending. But Christians have a different worldview. You see, we understand that ultimately God, not man or natural forces, is in control. And climate change isn't going to destroy the world. Scripture is clear that it'll end in a fiery judgment. We can have hope because of the gospel. Our biggest problem, sin, has been solved by Jesus' death and our future is in the hands of our Savior. Subscribe for free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit our website, AnswersRadio.com and discover the truth about climate change at AnswersRadio.com. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. God, the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to set cash from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater ambient. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily. Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most exalted King Christ the Priest. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, what you get is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night and his fright in the might in the diamond mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the loss and he found, though, he was tamed in floss all around but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a shirt hold on him. Fight for the rope, but dope and then. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the end. That's what we hoping in. Risen on Spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hellbound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was bought with a price. We got a hope that won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see. The fiber of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we, a pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly you ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent
eminent It's awfully arrogant to reject them to your detriment Study the development from Old to New Testament You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age It's relevant, crisis on its center stage Forget religious sentiments that center on man But something less is what you're settling He is the most excellent, exercising benevolence And blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance yeah. Listen to sinners that separated and segregated That severed the relations between man and his maker And placed Christ on his costly cross And compensated his life, death, and resurrection Emancipated and gave us freedom from it all Freedom from the effects of the fall Freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden And from the law So the saints stand and applaud His grace and glorious cause With hands raised, praising his name Singing glory to God <laughs> Being a good steward, this is Ken Ham, head of the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. Today, many people seem to worship the environment. They believe Mother Nature brought us here, so we need to take care of her and her creatures. They elevate nature above everything, including people. But that isn't the right response. Mother Nature didn't create us. God did. And when God created the first people, Adam and Eve, he commanded them to have dominion over creation. You see, Christians through the ages have agreed this means we're to care for creation, using it for our good and God's glory. It's called stewardship. And humans are made in God's image with a unique value the rest of creation doesn't have. Yes, we care for creation, but we don't worship it. There's so much more to learn about climate change, stewardship, science, and the Bible at AnswersRadio.com. Register for our climate change conference at AnswersRadio.com.
and now I'm going to do something from Wretched. It says, Scientist comes to wrong conclusion on evil. Here on Trippy Pottery. Scout, I want to do a bit of a philosophical experiment with you. I want to kind of do a what-if kind of scenario, and you tell me if you track with me on this, and if at any time you disagree, you just go, stop, I'm not buying it, okay? Scout, when you look around and you see the world, do you ever see bad things? Yeah. Do you ever see good things? Yes. Do you ever personally feel a sense of guilt because of things that you've done in the past that kind of trouble you? Some, yeah. Shame, which is slightly different than guilt. Guilt is a feeling of, oh, I've done a bad thing. Shame is, I'm embarrassed about it. Do you ever have that sort of emotion? I think more than guilt. Really? That's fascinating. Why? Um, I think I just get very anxious, and then I start thinking about, like, everything that I've done. I just get really stressed out about it, I guess, even though it, it wouldn't have necessarily been seen as, like, bad or weird or stupid. I start overthinking it. So is it more about the consequence of an action that you're that you're worried about? Um, I guess. Is it about how it will affect you or about how it might affect others? Definitely others. Okay. All right. Fear. Do you have any phobias or any things that scare you? Um, yes. Okay. I want to ask you what they are, but one in particular. Do you ever have a fear of dying? No. Really? Um, I commute by bike uh, around Atlanta, and I don't wear a helmet, and I, like, dash in and out of traffic. If my mom is watching this, I don't do that, sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but it, the idea of dying, see, when I was, when I was young, it, it just it was like a black cloud followed me around. I was horrified to die. You never had that feeling? Not really. Um, I feel like... So far, I've done a lot of cool things with my life, and I've had a lot of fun and, like, enjoyed a lot of things, and I feel like I've experienced a lot. So if I was to die now, I wouldn't – I would feel that I missed out on something, but I – it's – you know, I also had a really good life so far. Do you ever uh, do you ever have a, a sense when you think about dying? I don't know how often you think about it, but when you do, like, boy, if, there, if there's a God, and I have to stand before that God and give an account, I don't think it's going to go well with me. That's how I felt. Um, I mean, I think that it would, wouldn't go bad, I guess, but it, I don't know that I've done a lot of good things to get into, like, heaven or whatever. All right. So here's my thought experiment, and I, and I, want, I want you to see if you, if you track with me on this. If there is a God who can explain why we see both good and evil, pretty things and yet wicked things all at the same time it seems and if there is a God who would be willing to deal with my guilty feelings that I've done wrong things and if this God were willing to deal with my shame problem this sense of wow I'd rather other people were not aware that I did those things or thought those things or did those things in darkness and if this God could also deal with any fear that the afterlife would bring bad things to me, if that God existed, would you, Scout, want to be in a relationship with that entity? That's a really good question. 
I think it depends on what you define relationship as. So I would want to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> like like what? Like, so if if we are basing off of, like, the Christian God that made everything in the world and the universe, like, why did that entity make, like, childhood cancer and, like, good people dying early and that kind of thing when it was supposed to be perfect and, like, we were built after this entity's image, if you believe the Bible. So, like, I would just have a lot of questions about that. Let me try this. Let me see if I can address that for you. You just tell me if you buy this or not. All right? Let's say you've been saving up money to buy a new car or a new bike. I was at a bike store. Do you know how much they were selling bicycles for? $18,000. Mine was 900 Okay. So. All right. So you get an $18,000 bike. It's gorgeous. Everybody looks at you when you're driving through the streets of Atlanta. But one day, all of a sudden, the brakes don't work. Right? And you do. You, you, you crash into a car. Would you conclude, therefore, that bike does not exist? No, you'd say, what went wrong? My beautiful bike, what went wrong? That would be the intuitive question. And I think that's the question that we should be asking as we look around and you see childhood cancer or you see people doing atrocious things. You see racism and sexism and just wicked behavior that does not disqualify God's existence. It should cause us to ask, what went wrong here? Wouldn't that be logical? I can see where you're going, but I'm not entirely sure I agree. Try this on for size to see what you think of this. God made the world, and it was very good, beautiful. So, like, you know, we well, that plant isn't all that beautiful, but, okay, but we see beautiful things, the sunset, etc., and we know that it's it's lovely, and yet we see wicked at the same time. The Bible says God created the world, and it was very good, but we human beings, we did choose our own path, so we decided to rebel against God. We introduced what we would call sin and introduced evil onto the planet. So that's why we see the coexistence of both good and evil. God created a beautiful planet, nicer than an $18,000 bike, and we wrecked it. Would that not be a reasonable explanation for the coexistence of those two entities, good and evil? So I guess you could make that argument um you know as as like a scientist i don't think that that's how it ended up i think that we just have good and evil i think that like our brain cells and all of the hormones and stuff that create us either make us act in one way or the other and there is a spectrum of good and evil it's not just like a dichotomy but i guess you you could make that argument Salvation by Govish. I love. 
love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. Oh uh-huh. 
uh, pro-life. He's, uh, or I shouldn't say he's anti-choice. I should say he's extremely uh, pro-life. He's, uh, or I shouldn't say he's anti-choice. I should say. Parachute. 
So you've got a big problem. You've got to face the moral law on Judgment Day, the justice of God. And it's like being on a plane and having to face the law of gravity. Stephen Hawkins said, gravity is a law. And if you're going to jump without a parachute, you're going to hit the ground 120 miles an hour on your face. So that's fearful. But if someone gives you a parachute, then you're going to hit the ground at 8 miles an hour on your feet. You are now saved from gravity. And when you trust in Jesus, you're saved from God's law, the consequences of breaking the law because of what Jesus did on the cross. If you repent and trust in Jesus, God will remit your sins, forgive you, and grant you everlasting life. He'll release you from that guilty conscience. He'll forgive all those unclean sexual desires and those imaginations that he's seen. All those deeds done in darkness, they can be washed away in an instant because God's rich in mercy. Is that clear, or do you want me to run through it again? Uh, yes, I completely understand based I completely understand your explanation. Okay. So you're going to think about this? Uh, yes, I will. I mean, seriously think about it? Yes. I appreciate that, because you don't know when you're going to die. It could be tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be next week. So this is your eternity. So I'll just leave with the words of Jesus. He said, what shall a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? said it was over man they said it was over but it ain't over we just getting started yo 7000 we all at let's go stand up stand up if you truly love the son of man trust jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land what's up stand up stand up does anybody love the son of man trust jesus is the king so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land what's up with Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. More power than gravity, his knowledge and strategies confound the academy. Bow to his majesty, he paid sin's salary, took up blame on Calvary. Those who love his name spread his fame is the policy. All eyes on the matchless price of his sacrifice. Let's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife. What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes who hate truth. The gospel is not fake news. The gospel sweeter than it's ever been Ain't nothing changed, let us in, we got the medicine It's still human emergency, the serpent attack You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts Stand up, stand up If you truly love the Son of Man Trust, Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, stand up Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust, Jesus is the King So his people we will sing and forever stay Listen to my composition. Lots of rhythm, but not traditional, kind of different. But God's consistent, no contradiction. My proposition through crucifixion, He mocked and crippled His opposition. It's not some fiction, I'm spitting. 
and the Son of God is risen. And my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison. And through the Spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician. At times I listen, a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing. The proper vision is my suspicion. We dropped the mission. Not to this, but the Word of God is it not sufficient. The doctrine is that the gospel fixes our shot condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission. Because Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing. And forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music. But we gonna celebrate and relegate him? We refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop. I peep myself. They say we too redundant? Well, let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property. I feel like I'm real estate. If the father wasn't gracious, no synonym. Again. He came straight blameless. No synonym. Again. Nothing's been the same since. No synonym. Again. Fakers lack his fragrance. No synonym. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent? Let the world still Jesus. When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is gonna spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing. And forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Tomorrow you washed up. 
I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp As he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like Petro. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And phase like echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the sages, resounded for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop ya Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade Never fade, never fade at truthbetoldradio.com that is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M truthbetoldradio.com Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth. The letter B only, not B-E, 
Untold Radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions, billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was As long ago as that was have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same, immutable, How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was As long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean, but my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change, forever you reign, you remain the same, you will never change, you will never change, immutable, beautiful, you never change, never about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly, at times I wonder how this can be, surely it's because of the cross, when Jesus paid the full penalty, and bore the burden of sin's great cost, I'm saved by grace and faith in God, I look to Christ and I trust he died, so even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified, his work is finished that cannot change, and with this knowledge I am free, forever this grace it will remain, because of what happened on Calvary, as long ago as that was, 
Yeah. 